Hey everyone, and welcome to Hero's Journey Physio Fitness. Our mission is guiding people to reclaim their health and become self-reliant. I'm your host, Dr. Cameron Hogue, and joining me is my co-host, Annabel Rios. We are going live in three, two, one. Welcome, guys. Happy New Year. It's it's the first one of the year. 2024, that, that's baby. Exciting. And being that it's a new year, we released our goals episode a little bit earlier to give you time to prepare to get ready. If you haven't set goals, if you don't know the direction of your life, check out the episode. We kind of cover over like the anti-vision, which is kind of like the opposite of what you want your life to look like to help you decide what you actually want it to look like. Check it out. We go over setting goals, actually achieving them and whatnot. But today we have a little bit of a different topic. Something that you may have heard about it. You may not. I know Kim and I were talking about that earlier today. And it's talking, we're talking about the nervous system and its potential effect on weight training. So here's going to be the outline of today's episode because I want to give people a little, you know, outline of where we're going, see if this, you know, piques your interest and everything. But I do want to talk about the brain and the nervous system and basically how it works with the musculoskeletal system. And then taking that knowledge, we're going to apply it to, well, how does weight training affect both the nervous system and the musculoskeletal system? Specifically, this stuff called CNS fatigue, which is central nervous system fatigue. It might be, you might have heard of this, whether it's a fad or a buzzword. We're going to kind of look into that and see what the research says. And then based off if there is CNS fatigue or not, what our recommendations are for your specific training. So that's going to be kind of the direction of today's episode. Sound like a plan, Annabelle? Yeah, because you know, there's always those trends, those fads, try this, do that, all these buzzwords, and you can't trust everything you see on social media, but you can't trust us. So. Ooh, Annabelle, I'm sold, man. You got me. <laughs> okay, so I think we should just dive right in. Um and talk about the brain and the nervous system. So most of this, uh, most of this uh, research that I have has come from research articles, some of my neuroanatomy notes from from school, and then uh, from Dr. Andrew Huberman. So it's kind of a hodgepodge of uh, different sources where I got a lot of this information. We can link these in the show notes if you're interested in, uh, you know, taking a look for yourself. But just diving right in. So the nervous system, when you think about it, can be divided into two. There's what's called the central nervous system, and then there's the peripheral nervous system. One goes by the CNS, and the other one goes by the PNS. But I don't like saying the PNS because it sounds like penis. So we're, we're going to say... If you say it really quick, it sounds like penis. So... And I just said PNS there. Just said it really fast. So I'm going to say peripheral and central, just so uh, we, I don't, me and Annabelle don't go on a giggling spree here pretty soon. But when you think about the the central nervous system, that's going to be your brain mm-hmm. and your spinal cord, and then everything else is the peripheral. So if you understand that the the brain and the spinal cord are central. So if you think, and even in your body, so brain, spinal cord, it's all central kind of in the center of your body. Everything that branches off from it is the peripheral. Now the goal of the whole nervous system, both central and peripheral, is it's the governor of the body. 
It's the one sending the directions. Now it is receiving feedback from like your skin or your muscles or from your organs. And it's, and it does, so it does take in information, but it's also giving information. Hey, I need you to do this. Hey, do this. Uh, All that kind of stuff. It's governing all the functions of the body. So you can almost think of your nervous system as kind of the governor. I think that's a pretty uh, accepted kind of language to talk about the nervous system. Now, when you think about the nervous system as a whole, it's pretty much responsible for about five things. Okay. The first one of those things is sensation. So a lot of us know like, Oh, you're talking about, you know, the five different, um, five senses, right? The five senses. So you have things like taste and touch and smell vision, hearing, you have things called your vestibular system, which has to do with balance. And then you have to, you also have things called proprioception, which is where your body is in space. So your nervous system is constantly taking in information from the outside world um, regarding to those different types of sensation. Does that make sense, Annabelle? Yeah, it, it does. Kind of like where you are, knowing your surroundings in a way. Mm-hmm. So like you're, you're, when, you, when you're visualizing something, that is sending input uh, through your optic nerve to your brain, and it's kind of processing sensation and that sensation being the visual system uh, visually so those are uh that's one of the responsibilities of the nervous system is sensation and we kind of have those different sensations that animal i just talked about another is perception uh i think dr huberman talked about this as being the spotlight so like right now if you're listening to this this basically means like, I want you to think about how, you know, your thigh is touching the chair and then you go, oh, oh, my thigh is touching the chair. I wasn't noticing that, but now oh that I kind of, yeah, I, 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 just can't spotlighted, see it. I just spotlighted it. Now it was always there, but now I'm like honed in on it. So your body has to have, um, your body goes through perception. That way you can kind of hone in on things uh, and basically taking in some of the sensations that you're always getting is just would it's more bringing to your conscious and not your subconscious so the body the uh, nervous system is also responsible for perception another the third thing is emotions and these are pretty these are pretty interesting um from what i've seen on this is basically just the release of things called neuromodulators like dopamine and serotonin um and obviously feelings and emotions uh, are more contextual. So some people can can feel something that another person doesn't in a given situation. So it's just very interesting how these different neuromodulators play into effect on how people perceive feelings and emotions. But the nervous system is responsible for those as well. I don't I guess know. Quickly, I, maybe it's, it's playing... Yeah dopamine and serotonin just for for those who may not know so the the brain has these different um hormones or these neuromodulators that have to do and bind to different receptors and do different things in the body i think a lot of people think of dopamine um i think i think that's pretty common when people are like yeah dopamine that's like the reward hormone so like you do something hard um and a lot of the times you're almost rewarded with uh, that feeling that you get is your brain releasing the neuromodulator dopamine. 
Um, and I think there's even things where they're showing like when you pull up like your phone and you, you get that like or something on Instagram, it's almost like a cheap dopamine hit because you're getting this reward, but you mm. didn't put in a lot of work for it. Um, but there is a difference between what people are calling like a cheap dopamine hit and like you just hiked up a hill and are sweaty, but you got to the top and you see this beautiful view and you're very rewarded for what you did. That's like the body's natural hit. So yeah, these different hormones and there's a lot of them and I'm not going to lie. I'm not, I don't know all of them as in depth as some like neurobiologists mm -hmm. and stuff like that, but they have to do with um, different feelings that you have uh, depending on what you're doing and stuff like that. So the fourth thing that the, the nervous system and brain are responsible for is uh, memories and thoughts. So you're thinking right now, you can almost think back on things, you know, like memories and such. So, so this, I'm just going to read from this because it's pretty interesting. So memories and thoughts, they draw on what's happening in the present and things that you remember from the past, but that they can also imagine what the future can be. And it has to be like deliberate and reflexive when, in terms of your thoughts, when you're thinking about those things. So like sometimes they can come up, but you actually have to pull back into the, into the depths of your mind to kind of remember certain things. Now, some things can spark you remembering something like, Oh, I just saw this dog and it looked like my old dog. And now I remember a memory of my old dog. Um, and sometimes you get things like deja vu, which I don't know too much about, but like things like that can spark like, Oh, I feel like I've those are trippy. Oh, they're so trippy. <laughs> I feel like I actually had a deja vu moment the other day, but maybe my life has just been on repeat. So probably, probably nothing new, but so the, the nervous system is responsible for your thinking and your thoughts. And then the last part is your nervous system is responsible for your behavior. Uh, it takes the conversion of your sensation and your perception and your feeling and your thoughts. And then you can actually interact with the outside world. Like you can move your arm, you can run the mm. race, you can do all those things. So it's responsible for those five things. It's kind of a lot and it's very, um, a good way of putting the nervous system, at least what one of my neuro professors in school said is we're just cavemen when our understanding of how complex and deep the brain and the mind is. And I do think we're having more and more research and, and people studying this, but Again, it is so complex and, and there's so many things even in school that like I just had to memorize because I didn't even know what that even meant. But uh, it, it's, it's crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you think about when a lot of people say that the stomach is like a second brain? How would that the play into the, the, the stomach being the second brain? Have you heard of that? I have Some not. people say that your stomach is like a second brain because hmm. it has a lot of receptors, but... Oh, I, yeah. okay. I see what you're saying. No, I have. I actually haven't. No, I haven't heard about that. But what I what I'm assuming that they mean is like because of because the stomach can release. Well, I guess the brain releases things. These hormones in the stomachs like ghrelin that causes you to be like hungry or not hungry and stuff like that. Because food is such a driving force in a lot of people's lives, I'm assuming that's what that means. Is your stomach is constantly giving you signals whether you're hungry or not. So maybe that's what they mean. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, but most, but most tissue in the body, your stomach, your liver, your heart, it's, those are all sending signals back and forth, back and forth. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know why the stomach would be the second brain. Is that what you said? The second brain? Yeah, I've heard that. Okay. I'll have to look into that. I'm not, not exactly sure. Maybe just because a lot of people are hungry and it's constantly sending signals. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. 
Um, well, I think so I that gets us down another rabbit trail. But anyways, yeah. what's what's the next one, Doc? Okay, so when you when we're thinking about all those different things, um, the spinal cord is almost the um, what's the right word for this? I almost think of it like the runway. It's like it's where the planes are coming in and taking off. So your mm. spinal cord is sending the motor commands to the rest of your body, but it's also relaying sensory information from your organs, like your stomach, Annabelle, like you, you just said. So it's like that runway of planes taken off, but the planes are also landing, coming in. So it's receiving and sending um, not just motor, but also uh, sensory information. So it's this kind of two-way street, so to speak. And then how it does that, so I guess you could say the plane sending the information is the peripheral nervous system. So that's what um, is actually like connected to the stomach, actually connected to the muscles, connected to the skin. Like it's the ones that actually, it's the the roads maybe or where the plane lands from another city mm -hmm. to then give the information back to the runway, which the command center gets, can process it, and then you go from there. So the peripheral is everything off the spinal cord, and it's actually what gives uh, and takes the information to the relay station to be go to the brain and everything. It's like receptors, like you were saying. Yep. Um, and, and sometimes I think, that's... I, I mean, you can even Google it, right? Like you yeah, see those oh, images yeah. where it's like a, a body and it's like the white lines. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll actually link a picture here. We're going to talk about how the nervous system and the musculoskeletal system affects each other. But I've got a little a picture that I want to link in the show notes. Quick, people can kind of take a look at and kind of see what we're talking about. But another thing with that peripheral nervous system, the PNS, <laughs> there's actually, <laughs> there's a couple parts of it. Um, there's one called the autonomic nervous system, which is part of the peripheral, and then the somatic nervous system. So the somatic nervous system controls movement uh, and relays information from the ears and eyes and skin back. And the autonomic is more of like, so those th things that you can actually like consciously uh, think about. The autonomic is things like um, your glands and like how your heart beats, things that you can't really uh, control, but that is in control You're not of consciously that. controlling, right? It's just right. It's like happening. Exactly. Mm. So anyway, those are kind of the big overview. So I think knowing the nervous system and the brain, we can kind of now talk about these other things. And so when we talk about training, we'll actually know what we're talking about. Does that make sense? Am I, am I not being clear with anything, Annabelle? No, that, that makes perfect sense. Okay. So, so now that we know the nervous system and, and how it kind of takes in information and what it does, how does the nervous system and then the musculoskeletal system, and that's just a fancy word of saying the bones and the muscles, how do those things interact? So like we said, when the nerves leave the spinal cord, you're getting both motor and sensory and they go, and this specifically we're talking, they go to the muscle fibers. Okay. So they, it leaves the spinal cord. It goes to the muscle fibers and this is called a motor unit. Okay. So when a, when a specific nerve comes off the spinal cord and it goes to specific muscle fibers, it's going to create a motor unit and there can be multiple motor units mm. along a muscle. So the bigger the muscle, let's say like the quadriceps, are going to have more motor units than a smaller muscle, like your teres minor and your rotator cuff. And with that, it is not just giving the command, but it's receiving the command back. So there's this overlay. 
So this is actually where we got, um, when we're talking about, uh, is the mind muscle connection bro science. And it's like, well, clearly it's not now to what degree can, you know, a mind muscle connection work, but there is this, this, there, there is this interaction with the sensory of like the muscle, the mo- like the memory, like, oh yeah, I, I, I remember being contracted this hard. Or I remember be going through this movement. And then also if you can contract more muscle, are you then using more motor units from the nervous system? That kind of, uh, uh, reasoning behind it, but that's how they, that's how the, the muscles and the nerves interact. Now we need to talk about, okay, is this thing called CNS fatigue a real thing? Um, that's kind of where like, I want to go. Can you really isolate? You know? Yes. So um, we were kind of talking at the beginning that there is uh, a lot of talk on like, hey, if you do this, you know, you're really going to gas your central nervous system and, you know, you got you to gotta recover and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I want to talk about that. So here is kind of like it, this is most likely what you'll hear at least this is what i've heard so if you if you haven't heard this i'm sorry you know this is what i've heard and kind of even to a degree almost kind of what you um i wouldn't say like flat out learn in school and maybe it's more of just like a gym gym bro or gym thought idea but there's this idea that if you lift heavy weights you're really going to ta- at least lifting weights or lifting heavy weights, you're really going to tax and fatigue your central nervous system. And the thought behind that was the heavier weights you move, the more motor units you're going to have to use to contract these muscles to move the weight. And all that extra force, so like the strength is force exerted upon an external resistance, the more external resistance, the more force you have to contract with these muscles. Therefore, you're calling into effect your nervous system more, and therefore you're going to fatigue it. That's kind of the thought. Have you have you heard that before, Annabelle? Or what's your thoughts on that? I have heard that where you know you have to give your your body time to recover because you're taxing your nervous system. But yeah, it's mostly always been with heavy weightlifting, and I think that's why some people don't even want to. Yeah, like lift heavy, heavy, and we're talking compound squat, deadlift, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So they don't really, a lot of times that thought is they don't really think about it for hypertrophy things like bicep curls and tricep extensions or, or cardio, like running. It's all heavy compound lifts is usually where, where that conversation is in. But what's really interesting is there's a study that came out by Taylor and Gandivia in 2008. And it actually found the opposite. It found that submaximal exercise with, you know, longer durations, almost like running or biking, caused more fatigue than short, intense episodes. But they did, uh, they did say in context, mechanisms underlying fatigue during high intensity resistance training have been poorly investigated. So there hasn't been much study on it, but they did find that 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 at least the opposite of what the current thought was like submaximal things don't really fatigue you or fatigue your nervous system actually was fatiguing. So more research needs to be done on that, but there's at least one study that kind of already poked the bear against this kind of mainstream thought. Yeah. But there's, but there's hmm. another thought, um, well, I kind of have, there's kind of three thoughts on this with some research and we'll link the articles. And I kind of just want to read from this one. It's a little wordy, but this one is going to get more, it's going to be less talking about central nervous system fatigue, but signs 
um, or kind of symptoms of overtraining syndrome. It's, it's called OTS in this article. So if I say OTS, I'm talking about overtraining syndrome. So I'm just going to read this because I think it's pretty interesting because I'm a nerd. It says, quote, although several theories now exist, the, the exact mechanisms underlying central fatigue remain unknown. So kind of like what that other article said, it's still, we still don't really know. It goes on and says, it appears that the acute fatigue associated with episodes of prolonged exercise, as well as the chronic fatigue associated with OTS, overtraining syndrome, are both mediated by alterations in a number of neuromodulators, things like we talked about earlier, serotonin, dopamine, all that kind of stuff. Alterations in brain neurotransmitters and the central effects of peripheral-released inflammatory mediators during prolonged stress of overtraining have also been implicated in the development of numerous psychological and peripheral physiological changes that may occur with overtraining syndrome. And then it kind of goes on to say there's some there's some uh, associations that are comparable with between mm. clinical depression and overtraining. Um, and it says it appears that many of the shared clinical manifestations of overtraining syndrome and depression result from similar neurobiochemical changes in the CNS. So this is, I don't want people to get confused here. This is talking about chronic overtraining syndrome where you, you have kind of, I don't want to say messed up your hormones. I want to say that because I don't think that's exactly what's going on. Where you are in this state of overtrained um, and it could be like, it's very similar to like, if you were depressed in some of those like neurobiochemicals and how they're being released and responded and, and all that kind of stuff. But that has more to do with overtraining syndrome and not so much CNS fatigue. Like you just hit a heavy squat day and now you're going to be depressed. That's not what that's saying. It's saying if you have signs of, you know, overtraining syndrome, it's got similar characteristics to depression, which meaning is more of a neuro uh, biochemical or neuro neuromodulator type uh, effect. That was a lot, Anibal. Did I explain that at all <laughs> fairly well or not yeah, too much? Yeah, so I guess for the, for the listeners to understand, because I think a lot, I know we're going to go over a little bit here soon, but most of us think they were overtraining, but we're not. Yes. We're going to go into some signs because overtraining and being in a chronic state of odor, overtraining syndrome are... Uh, I mean, it's a big deal because you're saying it's kind of the same as clinical depression in terms of how it affects the body. So we're going to go through that. But as Anibal said, majority of you are probably not in that state. Stay tuned. We got one more thought here about CNS fatigue. But right now, as we're going along, it's pretty much unknown and or just kind of being debunked because there was that one study that showed submaximal. This is showing, well, it really has more to do like if you're in a chronic state of overtrained or chronically this way, it's kind of similar to clinical depression. So this last thought is there's this thing called the governor fatigue theory, and we'll link this chart and this, um, this, uh, uh, research in the, in the show notes, but I want you to think of there's this person in the middle. Okay. And on one side you have the central nervous system fatigue, which it is a thing. It's, I mean, you can't work out forever. You can't lift heavy weights forever in a day. And then on the other side, you have peripheral fatigue, meaning like muscles and stuff like that. So we do know that there is some research showing that if you got, if you are exercising and you are heavy squatting or even just lifting weights in general or running, you are starting to deplete and uh, slow down the connectivity of the nervous system, how it goes from the brain to the sonic cord to the muscles. 
because of the release of all those neuromodulars we talked about, serotonin, dopamine, glutamate, all that kind of stuff, that connectivity starts to slow down. And you'll kind of see that in your training. Like, man, I'm really starting to slow down. And I can't, you know, I can't keep going five sets of five on, on squats at a certain percentage, or I can't keep doing curls or whatever. So there are stuff like that that's going on with the connectivity of the nervous system. But then there's also, there's also muscle fatigue. We can't overlook this fact that there, there are changes in the muscle. This research found that things like metabolite buildups, pH levels change, actin myosin cross bridges, they break down, um, electrolyte changes, all those things are happening in the muscle that is causing fatigue. So what this theory looks at and says, it's this balancing act between the two. Like there is some changes obviously in the connectivity with those neuromodulators, but guys, let's not overlook the fact that your muscles are getting fatigued by just working them. So you can't just say that's one or the other, like fatigue is fatigue, both mm -hmm. central and peripheral. And you can't really just say it's, it's just one, or I got to really take a rest day because my seeing my, my nervous system is taxed. Like he, you can't really say that. That's kind of a that's kind of a myth. At least uh, the research that I have seen on this. But the chart's pretty funny looking, and it's got this it's got this cartoon. It he's is. Like on, he's looking. got he's on all hands and knees, and he's like sweating, and he's like reaching out, like I'm so fatigued. Any questions on that one, Annabelle? No, and I think that's kind of what we were we were talking about earlier. Is that you can't really isolate one from the other. That most likely you're working both at the same time. 100% working both at the same time. And I do want to talk about, okay, so now that we know you can fatigue your nervous system, but you're also fatiguing your muscle system. So we're just going to call that fatigue. You can't really isolate like Annabelle said. How does weight training affect this kind of stuff? And since there seems to be little research into like the actual effects, like are you actually super depleting your CNS and not your peripheral and all that kind of stuff? or, you know, which one it's coming from since it's most likely both. Mm -hmm. We got some just general rules that we, that we want to talk about here. The general rule for rest is about 48 hours between muscle groups. So like if you work chest on Monday, wait till Wednesday to work your chest. Or if you do full body on Monday, wait to do full body on Wednesday. So that's going to cover your basis for if it's central or peripheral because you got your rest in. So whether you lift it heavy, you'll, you'll still be ready by Wednesday because of that 48 hours between. Or if you're doing more of a like a quote bro split where you're just hitting more isolation things, you still want to wait even though you're working that muscle and, and your thoughts are like, well, I'm not really working my central nervous system. You still need to wait till Wednesday. You don't blast chest the next day again. So just waiting 48 hours actually just covers your bases on all types of fatigue between muscle groups. So that's one rule that I want everyone just to kind of yeah, I think that's a good rule as a whole. I think that most people still kind of follow like a bro split or a bodybuilder split where they break it up by body parts as a whole. And you need to give your body a rest. If you want your chest to grow, you can't do chest every single day. I mean, you can try. <laughs> but You can try. So I like how that kind of covers both... both um, camps on that and just rest 48 hours between muscle groups and I'll cover it both. Um, another general rule and Annabelle alluded to this earlier. Most people are undertrained, not overtrained. First of all, most people aren't even working out. So you don't even need to worry about if you go do some air squats or zapping your CNS. <laughs> and even when people do go to the gym, how hard are you pushing yourself? You know, like I am, I would be shocked if people are just going balls to the wall seven days a week 
hitting compound lifts every day, lifting head. Like you just, you, that's just, that's not majority people. Um, you got to earn that rest. That's the everyday person. Yeah. You got to earn that rest. You know, like a lot of people talk about rest and recovery. It's like, yeah, you, that's definitely true. We want that 48 hours. We don't want signs of overtraining, but you got to do the work first. You got to actually hit the gym. Mm-hmm. You can't just, uh, can't just say, Oh, I need, I need a recovery day. Like you haven't worked out in three days. You don't need a recovery day. Get back in there. <laughs> so that's rule number two. Most people are undertrained, not overtrained. Put in the work. I do want to talk about some signs of overtraining because that is a, it is a serious thing. If you are overtrained, like you do need to take a break. You do need to, you do need to recover. Chronic overtraining syndrome can have the same clinical manifestations as depression. So we don't want to be in an overtrained state. Most likely not you, but if this is you, take a break. Okay. So one thing that you might see is you, if you start to see a sharp decline in your gym performance, you're probably overtrained. Meaning, and it's a sharp decline. It's not like, oh, I benched 200 and then the next on Wednesday I came in and I benched 195. Like I I'm overtrained. Like, I couldn't yeah. get 200. Like that's, that's not overtrained. That's you had, you had missed, you missed or, you know, you were just a little tired or something. The stars didn't align, but missing the amount of reps you need or being five pounds below is not a sharp decline. What are you going to no. say, Annabelle? No, I think I completely agree because that—that is the way it goes with weightlifting. At the whole, there's days where the it's just flying up, and the other days you're you're struggling to even push. So it's, yeah, it's normal. And that does not mean you're overtrained. Yeah, I would say yeah, over. Like, exactly. I, there's not a specific number on that, but I mean, if you're dropping 20, 30 pounds on a lift, or you know, same weight, but you can't even get half the ma- half the amount of reps. You might be overtrained at that point, but you know, missing it by a rep or two, even you know, five reps or ten pound, like that's not overtraining. It's got to be a sharp decline. Another one is is excessive fatigue, like you're just constantly and almost chronically fatigued. Like you slept eight or ten hours, and you wake up and you're fatigued, and you're fatigued throughout the day, and you're fatigued in your workout. Like it's this this excessive fatigue more than like what you would feel after you hit a hard workout. Like yeah, I'm tired. I, I'm fatigued. I need to rest. But it's excessive for excessive amount of days, excessive amount of time, even excessive in the uh, in the in the sense that the fatigue that I'm experiencing is more than it has been. All that kind of stuff. That's the excessive fatigue. Another thing you might see is if you start to have changes in mood, depression. Maybe you're getting a little bit more. Maybe you're more angry. Um, all that kind of stuff. If you start to see mood changes uh, away from like your normal, like, oh man, I haven't really felt this way before, could be a sign that you're overtrained. Uh, these next two kind of uh, go together is a poor sleep and inability to relax. Like I'm so, I'm so excessively tired, but I just can't, like I can't sleep. I can't get still. Like I just can't relax. Like I'm, I'm fidgety. And that's like a horrible state to be in if you're, you know, excessively tired, but you can't sleep and you can't relax. Those are signs that you might be overtrained. And then the last couple are like you start to lose your appetite. Like I've been working out, like, uh, but I'm just like, I'm not hungry anymore. Like I, what I was eating, I was eating 3000 calories. Now I'm, I'm hardly hitting two. Like I'm like, it's a, it, it's a drop in your appetite. And then again, just like lack of energy. And that kind of goes with the excessive fatigue. You're just not as energized as you normally are. So those are the signs. And would you say that you need to see all the signs or a handful of signs uh, there was nothing that showed like you have to have like two or three of these, you know, mm-hmm. I would say at least, I would say if you, if you, if you have one of these things, I think you you need to be aware, but if you definitely have two of these things, you were probably overtrained. That would be my recommendation on that. 
Like if you are excessively and probably monitor for a while, right? Not just like one day or two yeah. days. So like, like yeah, if you're like consistently happening. Exactly. Um, like, you know, like maybe I'm just a little irritable. That might not be from overtraining. So like just because you are a little bit more depressed one day doesn't mean you're overtrained. But if you have like that in combination with loss of appetite, then maybe we need to start paying more attention to this. But definitely like decline in performance in the gym and uh, like that excessive fatigue and uh, it, two or two or more of those things, I would say those are, that'd be pretty accurate. Yeah. So. All that stuff being said, we talked about a lot here, kind of hopefully debunk the fact that CNS fatigue is, um, it is a thing, but not as a big a thing that people are making it out to be like, it's both. You, you can't really fatigue one without the other. Hit your rest days. You'll be totally fine. So our recommendations are earn your rest days, people put in the work. You're probably not overtrained. You're probably undertrained. Make sure it's about 48 hours between muscle groups. And, you know, some people don't even do that and they're not overtrained. So like, that's just the recommendations. Um, and then the last thing is there seems to be some correlation between the CNS and the peripheral nervous system as described by that central, uh, governor fatigue theory that you, there, it's a little bit of both. It's not, there's this, this tug of war between the peripheral and the central. So I would just say, listen to your body. Like Annabelle said, look at, see, are you overtrained? Are you ex- ex- demonstrating two or more of those signs that we talked about? If you are, get some rest, go eat a steak, you know, drink plenty of water, um, try and get some good sleep in. If you aren't showing any signs of those, you're probably not overtrained. Get your butt back in the gym <laughs> and start lifting some weights and don't, don't get so fixated on if it's my central nervous system, or my peripheral nervous system, you're just fatigued, rest and get back in there. But that's my thoughts. Like you say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Which one is it, Doc? It doesn't matter. Yeah, Annabelle's referring to... Moving. Yeah, my, my, uh, a lot of times I'll have students that'll ask me like, well, and this is in the PT clinic, they'll ask me, well, should I have them do uh, squats first or should I have them you know, push the sled first? And I'm like, it does not matter. Like, just, just make a move. <laughs> Get them exercising. Uh, some things might matter, but that does not matter. And for this one, it just doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But, Just rest. Yeah. You'll be fine. Well, Annabelle, that's all that I have on this. Uh, hopefully this was somewhat helpful and can maybe um, clear up some things or misconceptions about uh, CNS fatigue. Um, and this is our first episode of 2024. We're going to hopefully have good good episodes and good it's research. And, and yeah, we've got a couple, we definitely have a couple good episodes lined up and we definitely want to have more guests on the podcast. We've got our eyes on a few people and hopefully we'll hear back from them. So Stay tuned for 2024. We got some good things coming. And remember, you're a human. You should not seek perfection, but they did improvement. See you guys. See ya.